welcome to Space Bras, the sci-fi movie podcast for bad bitch feminists. I'm Mary, and with me is my co-host who does not need her talent validated by an Oscar, similar to Amy Adams, who we'll be discussing later. Kate, <laughs> what's up, girl? Oh, you know, living the dream, not pen- not fighting off uh, alien invaders and or trying to fight off humans who don't understand alien invaders, just, you know. I don't understand. Me, me, me. I don't understand how Amy Adams did not win an Oscar for this role. Totally. Totally agreed. I can understand why she didn't win it for what was it, American Hustle? Was that what the movie was called? Yes. Yeah. Something Hustle. Like, something Hustle. <laughs> something the hustle. Amy Adams story. The, the Amy the Amy Adams story which with with J Law. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, Mary, what's 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 happening in the news? Oh, what's happening in the news is that um, a, a, a creature that we have, I have not thought about in a long time. Nope. <laughs> uh, like, nope. Like at least, at least very a year, happily happened. You at know? least a year and a half. Uh-huh. And, but like, not even like it's like not she, maliciously, just like you, you know, know, she just doesn't like. She's not. She doesn't cross my radar as a human. Exactly. Like I, I haven't missed her. But if she were to show up, I would have been like, oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. You're there exactly. again. Um, It's Lena Dunham. I don't know why we're like burying leads so hard. (laughs) Is um, has roared back into the news, reminding everyone of the time that she wasn't there for a sexual assault victim, Uh very, very publicly, and then used that as a platform to talk about her own sexual assault, which Mm -hmm. uh, not great. Oof, oof, not great. So, so here's here's some here's what I immediately thought of when I heard so. Uh, like a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, a woman who worked on the set of Girls said that she was raped. Uh, maybe it was just sexually. Doesn't no, matter. No, no, no. She was raped. Um, so by I, I, by a writer. Yeah. Um, apparently, what happened? So she was seventeen. This writer was thirty-five when this happened, right. which mm-hmm. I think is important to note. Yep. And she basically talked about how. She she was like roofied, like she came to consciousness, and this guy was on top of her, raping, her. having sex with her. Yeah. yeah, and she was like, "In no way did I say that this was okay. <laughs> like, in no way did yeah. I consent. Like this this was this was terrible, and I am traumatized." And Lena Dunham basically came out and was like, "Like, no one asked her what she thought. Yeah, like, released a statement not. with like the co-creator Jenny something starts with last name's a K. Came out the statement saying that." that they had insider knowledge that this did not happen that this sadly fell into the case of being one of the 3% um, cases of falsely reported sexual assault like acknowledged the statistic then said definitively that she was lying and that they knew because of insider information and uh, it turns out what she said today oh she didn't have any insider information oh she she just said that because she like trusted this guy whatever i don't care fuck off lena dunham yeah i mean what's really what i think is really weird about uh about her whole approach to this is i think we can all we can all empathize mm-hmm. with a person who for whatever reason, like, like if, if this happened in my life, if like one of my good friends who was a man suddenly and, and was suddenly publicly like it was it, someone came forward and was like they raped me. I would not want to believe it either. Right. Like, I, of course. I, I, I totally of course I totally empathize with that. And that is hard. But like, you know, there were also people who were like, 
not not just like Harvey Weinstein levels of creeps do bad stuff. Like yeah, and I think the thing to do if you are struggling with it is to shut up until you know something. <laughs> like yeah, no, that's exactly what you do. I don't have enough information on this to comment. Yeah, period. and maybe and and maybe even I would have. I would have respected her if she said, well, obviously, this is a dear friend of mine. So I hope that this did not happen. And I and based on my experience with him, I don't think this happened. But I don't yeah. know anything <laughs> like actually right. like oh my God. in my right. experience with this person. That would doesn't make sense to me. But I don't know because I wasn't this, there. And yeah, that's it. Like that. Those are the things this behavior say. seems uncharacteristic to what I know of this person. Right. I would like but to support... definitively because I knew this person before. Like I yeah. know everything is right. is a mistake. That's where I think she goes wrong. Like I don't. Obviously, pe- some people are very good at pretending to be things that they aren't. Right. Like yeah. we know this. We know that there are there are wolves in sheep's clothing. We know that there are people, and we also know that there are people who may have like truly fundamentally changed over the course of time. Um, yeah, of course. That still did bad things in their past that they should have to, to have to deal with. <laughs> like, right. So, I heard that, um, I heard defenders uh, like to say, like attorneys who uh, who work in defense um, say that you're not as bad as you're the worst thing you've ever done. And that's true. You're not. But doesn't mean that like... It doesn't mean that if you hurt someone deeply, justice should You just get a pass. Yes. And there are people who are in positions to, like, intellectualize it to that level. And there are people yep. in positions who aren't. And if you are good friends with somebody, you probably are not in that position to nope. be able to, like, kind of come you to take a step back. Yeah. And you should, well, just, you should just shut up. <laughs> like, well, I, I want to. I, so when I when I saw this, um, it reminded me of something I had seen a couple days ago. I don't know if you've watched the video of Target Tammy. Um, it's this Mm -mm. white woman who accosted, uh, three black women in a target because they were joking amongst themselves. And one of them was like, oh, with that hat on, you look like Eartha Kitt. And the woman said something like, I don't want to look like Eartha Kitt. She had sex with a minor. And this woman, <laughs> but, well, I mean, and fair. And this this white woman like butts in and is like starts screaming at them how about how they shouldn't be talking about sex in public, about how it's despicable, about how like they're gross and like just getting in their face and like doesn't even know what they said. Like starts being like, well, you were obviously saying that like talking about how much you want to have sex. And they're like, no. And like and so she's like yelling at them. And then they're like, you're gross. You're in our face. Please go away. We don't want to engage with you anymore. Like, please leave us alone. And there's video footage of all this. And she's like, you're being mean to me. Like, you're being cruel to me. Like, turns into, like, instantly this victim while simultaneously bullying the shit out of these women and using her fucking goddamn white privilege to do it. And the reason why I thought about this is that the woman who um, accused the writer of rape was a black woman. And Lena Dunham is white. And Lena Dunham taking her time to apologize and then also using it as a platform to talk about her own assault is also claiming victimhood in a moment where, like, it's just not it's just not the time. And it, it's exactly what white feminists are accused of. And it is ex- and it is what defines her as a white feminist in the most pejorative sense. And that is what I was thinking about because Lena Dunham do goddamn better. And this isn't their first time, like, having issues with race and saying the 
quote wrong fucking thing, but really just thinking and acting the wrong fucking way. Yeah. I mean, what's really weird about this, I feel like, is um, you have to earn certain stuff in life, I feel like. But yeah. obviously there are things that, that obviously privilege exists. I, I just think it's weird that we feel like Lena Dunham is the voice of a generation and like clearly a feminist and everything she touches becomes feminist. But who thinks that she is? Like who well, does? It's like, I mean, I guess it's I am judging her feminism because she claims it. I think we all, well, it's like, it's like a given and then we're all just endlessly disappointed with her for falling short of that given. And that's okay, because, like, I would be disappointed with anyone who said this kind of thing. But, like, where it came from is from her. (laughs) Like, she is a self-proclaimed feminist and was Mm -hmm. like, I am a voice of the generation and I have these abilities and blah, 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 blah. And I'm kind of like, you're getting hoisted on your own petard right now because, like, no, you are an imperfect, a deeply imperfect person with Mm -hmm. an incredibly, incredibly... um, biased view of the world like because you come from privilege and i don't know so i read i read two articles one of which was this person basically saying like lena dunham is a person with talent do we care if she's a good person which i disagreed with like the core tenant of that article but it did get me thinking about like how much of a pass we give men in this arena like of course like of course i just like we cannibalize our own yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. So like I so I, I think like a t- there's a tiny, like tiny little nugget of truth there. But yeah. at the same time at the same time, like she has completely brought that on herself and basically like marched into the room banging on a saucepan, being like, Feminist speaking, feminist speaking, um, this rape allegation is completely a lie. Without knowing anything yeah. about it. So Absolutely. So she's using her so it, it's like even more insidious than just her being like like crappy feminist she's she's because she's she's, using her feminist credentials to like to to cast dispersion on a fellow woman who is saying doing something incredibly scary which is coming forward and telling her story yeah yeah exactly so i I think she's quite i think she's she's quite a problem like yeah yeah so i i guess my biggest issue with her i'm just like just so weary and disappointed with like with like people like me just making the world's worst choices i'm like listen lena donham you don't you have every conceivable privilege in the world and you have every you are like you have you have ordained yourself as the voice of white feminists everywhere can't you like can't you like read something can't you like contact cool people that you have access to and and make that happen for yourself i don't know yeah no exactly exactly but the point is everyone just has to fucking try and do better and ask for more and not just assume that your white male friend didn't rape um the woman who says that she was raped, you know, like maybe let's all just try to do a little better, guys. And uh, if you're going to apologize about shit, don't call don't pull a Kevin Spacey and uh, do oh, something God. like talk about your trauma or yes, come out. That's 100 percent. That's 100 percent what she did. Well, should we get to more exciting and thrilling stuff like uh, the movie we're going to talk about Arrival, which I'm excited because this is like 
OG sci-fi shit that I love. Motherfucking aliens coming to Earth. Got a, a hot bad bitch who's trying to solve all the problems and save humanity. You know, it was exactly like. it was exactly like Contact, except for English majors. It's oh like, my god! I literally made a note about how like how yes. exactly like Contact it is. Yes. Well, there was this what I so what I loved. So, uh, God, all right. I'm just a little teaser before going into the plot. The moment when they're first uh, entering uh, the pod. Um, the haptopods, like, you know, spaceship, and you realize that, like, the axis changes, um, and they throw the, uh, they throw the, the glow stick, and it ends up, like, landing as though, like, you know, the sides of the walls are, like, where gravity is. That moment reminded me so much of Contact, because it was this idea of, like, no, you have to take a step back. Like, the thing is a circle. You know what I mean? Like, you have to, like, the, you have to shift your perspective entirely in order to understand this. And I thought that was a cool little throwaway that really did make me think exactly of contact. So, anyway, but yes, there are many other ways, including that, like, one-on-one talk. Well, let's just talk about <laughs> what a rival is, Mary. Um, By the way, if you all haven't seen it, uh, it was a movie... Directed by Dennis Villeneuve. Um, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime and Hulu. So if you prefer to go ahead and watch it before you listen to this, you can press pause. But I mean, also, you can just listen to us because we're lovely. And it stars Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner uh, with, uh, I'd say, support acting by Forrest Whitaker. And... Yeah. Before I tell you what the plot actually is, Mary, will you tell us your first impressions? So this is not usually what I do for first. What we what we do for first impressions because mm-hmm. usually one of us hasn't seen the movie and one of us has, and then we talk about that. I've seen this movie before, so you and I both came into this movie having seen it. So I yep. just want to talk about. I got a, I got into a little bit of this when we talked about um, how we were going to work do this film next on Stepford Wives, but I said that like when I came out of it, I felt like really full, like satisfied, like it was a satisfying story, and I was like, I feel like every question I had was answered, and I didn't need to talk about it with anybody ever. So I was nervous totally. that when we watched it, I wouldn't have anything to say. <laughs> Like, which is insane because I'm the most opinionated. But what? No, <laughs> no. Um, I think that I think that you and I are in contention for that. I like it. <laughs> Our superlatives: most opinionated, quite opinionated, co co superlative winners. <laughs> anyway, um, let let's just say let's just say that uh, yeah, I, I I never have I never have problems expressing expressing how I feel. <laughs> um, but the, you know, I just felt like the story was so tight. Um, totally. But what was really fun, I feel like on, so I watched this movie three times to prepare for this and on my subsequent viewings, um, I found that that wasn't all the case because the joy of watching something with a specific point of view in our case, feminism is that it, it sharpens your focus and allows you to scrutinize a narrative more tightly. And, um, I think that as just a general person, uh, I tend to look at things for feminist themes or or themes that I think are are harmful um, and uh, regressive but it's but you know I'm still like more of a casual viewer but if I this podcast has helped me sort of sharpen those skills um, and I, I think that's kind of cool that's been a delightful 
um, side effect of doing this with you. And I just wanted to kind of, kind of give it some, give yeah. it some voice. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I have, I had seen this movie multiple times before we even planned to record this. Um, so I, I honestly had a hard time like gearing up to watch it again, and then I did, and I was like, oh, that's right, I love this movie. Um, so guys, the plot of Arrival. 12 alien uh, spaceships or pods uh, touch down across uh, the world. Um, unable to communicate with them, the military enlists the help of a one Dr. Louise Banks, uh, who is a noted linguist, to attempt to translate the communication. After some false starts in which she and a fellow scientist are brought up into the pod, um, by engaging personally and using written language, she starts to make real breakthroughs and progress. Um, ultimately, the rest of the world, um, everyone who's not actually interfacing with the aliens, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of unrest. And as uh, as action starts to escalate towards war with the aliens, starting with uh, General Shang and Russia, uh, Louise realizes that because she's learned to translate this language, she now... Um, is able to think the way that that they do, and therefore she's able to see the future and the past. and And in seeing the future, she's able to see how she was able to defuse war um, by calling this general, and therefore she can call the general and defuse war. So, what we're dealing with are themes of like, I would like to I would like to say that while this movie is like contact, what it's really like to me, the thing that I loved the most about it from the moment that I saw it the first time, is that it's really a lot like Slaughterhouse Five. Whoa! Um, Billy Pilgrim is unstuck in time. This idea and all right, so guys, if you haven't read Slaughterhouse Five, get to it. It's my favorite <laughs> book of all time. We will post an Amazon affiliated link, like at least one of my top 10 books of all time. Um, I, Kurt Vonnegut. I agree. Yeah, I agree. But, um, but in it, Billy Pilgrim um, becomes unstuck in time is the essential line. And we talk about in terms of time travel, but it's exactly the way in which Louise travels through time. Wherein his kids are like, you're not going anywhere. It's like, it's more like his memories, but he's able to move back and forth throughout his life. And at some point he interacts with aliens, uh, the Tremaflodors, and they see humans in a nonlinear way. Like they're able to see someone at all their states in their life. So when someone dies, they're like, oh, I mean, that's, that's just a bad day, basically. Like there, you also exist in all these other ways as a baby, as like as someone who's well, as someone who's alive. So it's not sad. That's where the phrase "so it goes" comes from, um, because it's about how, yeah, sure. At some point, you're in a death state, to borrow the term from uh, Costello, um, which is the name of one of our heptapods. Which maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I <laughs> love that i just love that literally there's so many parts of this that really feel like they're just slaughterhouse five i know it's not based on slaughterhouse five i know it's based on a work by another author and it's real possible maybe he didn't read slaughterhouse five we all just have similar ideas but like literally guys it is so spot I mean, on he must have been in eighth grade at one point he's probably right? read slaughterhouse five come on right anyway yeah it's a classic it's a cl- it is a it is a classic. It's a classic. Anyway, maybe eighth grade's kind of young. By I a mean, sophomore in high school. 
I think sophomore in high school is exactly when uh, you read it in high school. I did not read it for that, but it is one of my favorite books in terms of like if ever I'm dealing with grief or depression, like um, it always recenters me because this idea of like it's not about like this exact moment. It's about like the whole span of time uh, is very uh, soothing and reassuring in the way in which he uh, he he lays it out for you. So. I've never heard of anyone reading Slaughterhouse Five to uplift them, and I love that it uplifts you. <laughs> it does. <laughs> That's wonderful. So much. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, so, so it goes. So it goes. So it goes. Well, uh, should, now that we've uh, thoroughly talked about the plot, and I've started talking about my favorite book that I think had to have influenced this, at least in the ether, should we dig into our? Key lady linguist, uh, Amy Adams, as Louise Banks. As as Ms. Louise. Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Louise is, well, okay, so in order to talk about Louise, I do want to talk about how the movie starts, which is um, the opening lines are, and I did write them down just because I used to think that this was the beginning of your story. Memory is a strange thing. It doesn't work like I thought it did. We are so bound by time and by its order. And... That's really, it's kind of like a narrative clue for everyone because talking about memory being a strange thing and time and order because we, uh, the first thing we're introduced to is the story of Louise's daughter, how she was born, how she grew up, the fact that they loved each other, the fact that they didn't, and the fact that she died at a very young age um, from a rare disease. Like we get all of that in like the prologue of this movie before we visit the day in which the aliens came. And because that's put there, my read on it, and I don't know if this was different from yours. I think what we're supposed to think is that the, the events of, um, of the aliens coming, uh, is happening after her daughter has passed away. Yeah. No, you're supposed um, to think you're supposed to because they, they show it and fl- it appears to be a flashback and they like show you her wedding ring so that right. you know she's married. They never they, of course, never show you her husband until later. So because right. you're about to meet him so, and that right. would reveal everything. So, you know, she's right. married. You know that she has um, a baby and right. and a child and then the child dies. Yeah. You're supposed to think that she's like in crisis. She's a woman in crisis. Right. And so and so that's why I wanted to introduce that. First, because when we meet Louise, she seems like someone who has had a hard life, who's gone through some trauma. And and you you attribute that to to the daughter that she's lost because she seems kind of closed off, not very like warm and open. Um, You know, uh, she's she's not the bubbly protagonist that you sometimes get. And um, but she's super she's hyper competent. Uh, yeah, as soon as the aliens come, she's a the calm, military approaches her. She's a calm person. Like, yeah, she seems like yeah. sort of a um, a sad person, but she's, yeah, joyless. Uh, yeah, like she's she's cold and 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 sad, um, and like clearly clearly has is going through something, but she's not hysterical, and she is not she has not lost sight of who she is. Like she knows what she's good at. Like she's, she's kind of like if she were a man, we would describe her as pouring herself into her work. Like she's that. Yeah. She's that kind of character, right? Um, right. But as a woman, which we never get to see, <laughs> like totally. Ever. It's it's like it's kind of startling when you watch this to realize that like you feel so unmoored from her, and 
as a character because we aren't used to seeing women like this in media, where, whereas we see women like this every day because there are pe- tons of people like this. Yeah. Like, I guarantee you work with at least a couple Louises at any job. Of course. Of course. And, and well, and what's interesting is the way... I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. And so in so we take the little pieces <laughs> of information we have and we paste them together <clears throat> to make up a picture of who we think she should be. Right. Um, and it's clear the fil- I think the filmmaker is uh, is hoodwinking us on purpose. Like, he, oh, absolutely. He knows do- we're going to do that. And so- yeah, I think I think that that's the point. I think we're supposed to think that that is her daughter, even when we first see the flashes of her. You mm-hmm. know, you I think we're supposed to think that those are flashbacks it's not until later i would argue probably the first time i watched it i i was on a plane and so uh the viewing experience on an airplane is not as stellar as in a theater of course so it wasn't until like she was literally talking to the aliens and she's like who's this girl that i realized she didn't know her but like on a second viewing i think it's about i think it happens sooner than that i think it's when she but it, it is like when yeah Anyway, you have to be, the the narrative explicitly tells you that you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. Before exactly. you realize that you're wrong. Like, yeah, it, exactly. I I don't know. I'm I'm not. It's it's like a it's a twist, but it's a twist that you, that they have a given twist. You, a twist. But it's a good twist because it's not like it's not like and we've secretly lied to you this whole time. It's just like right. your mind moved in this way without being told. You know, explicitly. You made it's, a lot of assumptions here, and now and now we get to delight you by giving you a twist. Right. It ends up being a great, like, meta n- commentary on, like, narrative structure and stuff like that because the film is dealing with, like, beginnings and ends and order of things. And um, because this language supposedly, like, changes – well, I shouldn't say supposedly. In the reality of this film, the language changes the way in which you perceive time and events. Um I I would like to say that I think that the way that the film kind of overcomes uh, the way in which you might not feel attached to Louise immediately is by having her face down uh, and not not face down is wrong by having her um, the first time she meets Forrest Whitaker uh, when he comes in and starts trying to recruit her to come and translate the aliens for him and is kind of dismissive of her being like I need to see them. Um, and the fact that, like, when she first gets in the helicopter and, uh, Ian, uh, tries to say that she's wrong about, like, how important language is, uh, her, her innate competence and the fact that she's kind of unflinching in the face of, like, men trying to shut her down a little bit, uh, I think that that immediately bonded me to her, you know? Like, having a strong woman... Be like, yeah, I might not totally identify and relate with this person, but I relate to that. I relate to um, people assuming I'm I'm not going to be able to do something before I even try, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Although I feel like what what and the re- and maybe this is one of the reasons that I think that she's such an important character is we they don't worry about making her likable, really. Oh, for sure. For sure. But they give you a lot of. They show you and they show you without a, a shadow of a doubt that she's very, like, as we said, very competent. Yes. And instead, the feeling you feel towards her before you like her is you respect her. Yes. And that is a that's also a rare thing. I, I would well, I would actually so respect, I guess, for me, engenders 
admiration. Right. And then and then you like her. Once you respect yes. her, you like her. But and I and they, you respect her kind of as soon as those interactions start happening. Yeah, exactly. And like and they set you up to always respect her. There's never I guess I never really realized how normally in films you when you watch characters and I would actually even argue that this is true for a lot of male characters as well is that they lean so heavily on relatability immediately and Absolutely. and likability to to connect you with a character and it was cool to like and then like you work around and like you respect them basically or they just assume that respect comes with that and it doesn't necessarily right. so i think it's really cool that they they took the gamble i think they take the gamble that colossal doesn't take where totally that's where, exactly what i was thinking of where they give you a character that you're sort of forced to be like yeah this person's really cool i might not want to be friends with her because you know she doesn't really seem like kind of like a laugh but like, i think i think once she starts loosening up i'm like oh yeah i would totally be friends with her yeah but like or like but, but i would but love you would have to, be- to I would love her to be my college professor. I would love for her to be my coworker. Sure. Like people in your life who you need to count on. It, oh, totally. Yeah. She's you, someone you want in a pinch. Your yeah. car breaks down and you're totally. with, you know, Louise. It's like, all right, we got this. We can figure it out. Yeah. But I think it's really, um, so I once went to a book signing for um, Kate Schultz of Bitch, Bitch, uh, Bitch Magazine fame. Pardon mm-hmm. me. And someone asked her what... Um, what she thought was the most feminist piece of media or pieces of media that were currently out there at the time. And this was in, this was in the past. But and she kind of thought about <laughs> it. She kind of thought about it and um, said, or was it the future, Mary? It was anyway, future. sorry. You know, time is not is not time doesn't it doesn't, not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It was at least it was at least before uh, like pre 2013 because I was still in grad school when I saw her talk. Um, and she said that she actually thinks the best thing is to just the most feminist thing that we can do right now is just continue to show women in as many um, and she particularly picked on this work settings, like being competent and good at their jobs as possible in media. So she was like, so like, it's not as obvious, but like law and order or a lot of police procedurals, like things, things where you see women working and it's not like a joke. And things where you see women, like, doing a job well is, yeah. is, like, the most feminist thing we can do. And I and I kind of, I don't know, like, I kind of quibble with it a little bit because I'm like, I think we can go a step further. Sure, that's and, like, short-sighted. I think that, yeah, I think we yeah. can ask for more than and, that. And, like, but... women don't have to work, like, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, no, like, totally. But when I watch this, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is really cool to see this woman and, like, completely with, through a professional lens and, like, see her in, like, work settings at the top for games. She's very ballsy. Like, even yeah. when... She's put in a situation where she's a total fish out of water. She can lean back and say, but I am an expert in this area and you hired me to do this. So so let me do my job. Yeah. So like I, I do yeah. get to call the shots here to some degree totally. um, is like is like very, very cool. And I, I think uh, inspiring. Agreed. I, yeah. Um, particularly and I'm particularly inspired. I love that scene where she breaks down. Uh, so it's after uh, it's after she's met um, the aliens, the heptapods, and mm-hmm. the military is basically like, we need to understand their language enough to ask them why they are here. And yeah, what is your purpose? Yeah, what is your purpose? And she breaks down for uh, Forrest Whitaker's character exactly why she's going to need months to do that. And so she's like, so first of all, we have to see if they understand a question. And then we have to see if... 
they have a, like a like a self-determined nature like do they do things for a purpose or, or is it, it just so innate right or is it so innate that they just they they just act on instinct um like baby animals do <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. and she kind of goes through this whole thing and she's like and that is why my timeline makes sense and i was like oh my god i need i need to do this for every project ever to be like Hell this yeah. is why i need multiple weeks or this is why yeah. i need a couple months to do this but it was just yeah. so beautifully done it's uh it's a master class in uh justifying your timeline and remaining firm <laughs> yeah. on what you're doing so should we talk about the heptapods and their language? Yeah. They're big, seven-legged squidded creatures, <laughs> like big octopuses that float around in uh, milky mist. Yes, indeed. And and it's funny because, like, really, it looks like what, what we're looking at, what we're seeing is, like, their face are, like, what look like knuckles, essentially, uh, essentially, for most of the movie. And then, like, at the end, like, she ends up, like, in the milky space with one of the haptopods. And, like, it looks like there's a head at the very top. Like, that, that's just, like, a big body with, like, an actual head up there. I don't know. Did yeah. you see that? Did you I notice do. that? I do know what you're talking about. I think um, this is a deep cut, but uh, I used to play this video game called uh, Odd World, Abe's Odyssey. And uh-huh. uh, there are the bat, like, one of the main bad guys in there has sort of, like, this, like, their whole face is, like, kind of an elongated hand. And that's mm-hmm. what they look like to me. Like yeah, they look no, like a big. Totally. They look like a big hand. So I guess I assume that their brain is somewhere in like, kind of like the meat of your hand area. I don't know. Yeah. No. Me too. It was just interesting to see that like at the very top of like this big mass was like a little circular head, a little so, face, a little thing up there. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. And she's looking all the way up hair. there. I don't. Yeah. Who knows? Who really anyway, knows? I don't actually. Yeah, we're not. We're not uh, well versed in the anatomy of the heptapod. <laughs> that's not the point. That's not the point of a. Rebel. That's not the point. No. Um. What yeah, is the so, point? Is the way they talk. Uh huh. Well. So or communicate in written language. <laughs> I guess. Right. So we're never able to figure out um what what they are saying is different from what they write. Um, right. Their meaning does not convey sound, and it's a logogram, and it's free of time, so there's no forward or backward direction. Um, in their so writing. There's these, in their writing. So it's these big, like, kind of circular symbols with multiple points de- denoting multiple um, words and ideas in this uh, larger shape. Yeah. I was an English major, not a linguist, so, like, this only, like, makes sense in theory to me. I'll mm-hmm. be completely honest. Like, I'm like, oh, sure. that's cool. But, like, I couldn't diagram how a sentence like that would work. <laughs> I guess. Oh, yeah. No. And I don't think yeah. that we're supposed to. I think no, we're supposed you don't to be have like, to, to enjoy I think it's film. supposed to be like contact. We're like, whoa, it's a circle instead of a straight line. You know what yep. I mean? Yep, yep, yep. It's, the it's fine. sphere. <laughs> if anyway. you could do shapes, you could do this movie. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so. Right. So they, you know, we get like a lot of information about this. And basically what this means is that meaning for these creatures, meaning is not dependent on time. We don't we don't kind of mark whereas English usually has like a beginning and an end of a sentence. Like we start a sentence and then by the end of that sentence, you should if it's well constructed, you should be able to digest its meaning and then it's over. And then you move yeah. to the next sentence. They don't really have that. It's sort of like their sentences can like loop around and depending on where you start, you'll come to potentially a different conclusion based on based on that because it's unmoored from time. 
right? Right. But it, but it's it's like a similar idea. It's almost like instead of just being uh, written words, it's like it's more like a conversation. Like inflection, intonation, context is all um, conveyed in an innate way in this language. Is what I was trying to. It's yeah. As, that's my best understanding of it. It is the opposite of the way Ernest Hemingway writes. <laughs> it's not yes. punchy little sentences. Like yes. it's 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 long, it's long, long, it's long paragraph long sentences that you can kind of like pop in and out of and depending on where you come in and where you leave your the meaning that you take out of the meaning will change. So a little bit more like uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, if you're treating The Great Gatsby like a book that you can just open up at any page and read, which you can. Um, I do think that this particular. So in the end, this language is reflective of the way that the story is being told. And that's sort of like that's like the prestige of this movie is like Mm -hmm. is like ta-da! at the end, like you're like, oh, and that's it's very cool. And I think what's fun about it is um, it's sort of like learning a new board game or card game where if someone reads you the rules, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you can only take in so much of the information. So you don't really know how to play. But if you start playing, then you understand it like you learn as you go. Yeah. so I feel like this movie is like that, where when they explain it, you don't totally get what they mean, but they've been but subtly... But as you experience it yes, and you see get it, it. Yeah, you get totally. it and understand it. Um, but I know that a lot of people kind of write this movie off as intellectually pretentious trash because of this, um, which I think is unfair. I think it's a beautiful movie. <laughs> I yeah, know. no, totally. No, I, 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 I disagree with that because I think it gets to engage in some really cool themes and I've already said I think it makes a lot of different illusions and I think that um yeah I think it's a, a a meditation on time and science and communication and narrative and um is and 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 how communication can shape the course of events for good or for ill I don't know I think it's I think it's good I don't think it's yeah hogwash I say to that <laughs> totally um, I think one of the reasons it definitely drives linguists nuts because this movie uh, deals heavily with and now I'm going to need linguists to uh, have my back as opposed to all of my lit crit people, which is what I got my major in when I say uh-huh. don't at me about the pron- mispronunciation of this. But I think it is Saffir Warf hypothesis. Yeah, that is that is what I think that they said in the film when they talked about it. Yeah. So this is a theory um, that says your perception of reality are determined by the characteristics of the language you speak. A really, really, really simplified and utterly untrue example of this is when you talk about Inuit language and like the classic thing where like Inuits have like 70 words for snow because... Mm -hmm. Their reality is about snow and their language is about snow. And if you can speak in you like their their native tongue, then you will also understand snow to the degree that they do. Inuits don't. That's not true. Like they yeah. don't have all those words for snow. Um, yeah. But it, that explains that explains that theory where if you speak a language, you get inside the headspace and the experience of the person who also speaks that language and you broaden yourself as a human being. Yeah. So I, in the way in which, uh, obviously, because this is a work of science fiction, in the way in which this movie deals with that concept in an exaggerated form, it's not literally true. But um, while I know that linguists don't love this, I personally, uh, God, 
I like to disagree. <laughs> That's not exactly what I'm saying, but um, this might I not think be language. T- this is, might not be technically true, but I do but, think that but there it's is true some... in like an innate way, in the way that like so cultural merits. Yeah, yeah. Well, the words that you use do um, impact the way in which you understand something, and we know that to be true. Uh, there's this Irish play called Translations by Brian Frail. That deals with um, the colonizing force of language, like uh, the English come over to Ireland and they're renaming places, and and then one of the characters is like trying to get somewhere, and he's like, and 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 the Irishman who is helping the English rename places, is like, do you even know how to get there? Like, and and they and he's like, yeah, it's this place. He's like, no, 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 and he like says all the new names, and it's like this idea that like if you rename something, if you claim it that way, like, can you actually take it away from someone? Yeah, then it's then, um, then that person doesn't know how to get there because they don't know how to describe right what you're talking about, or right, or, or even like subtle things about our language that that consistently push people down. Like exactly microaggressions yeah. in our terminology. Um, the yep. fact that language has power, words have power, and therefore, um, the words we use. We also we've talked about Judith Butler already before on this podcast, but mm. it's a lot of what she talked about in terms of like the way we talk about gender. The bottom line is, I do think the language has the ability to shape our perceptions of reality. You you know what I'm saying? Right? I do. I do entirely know what you're saying. I also feel like, um, like. It literally might not be true. Like the theory for from a scientific perspective and a um, like a like to the degree and um, rigor that a linguist would require it to be true to believe in order in order for it to be. Yeah. A a sound theory. Yeah. To be an accepted, proved scientific fact. Right. Might not. It might not hold water. But there are a lot of things that I think we culturally understand to be true that aren't true that still allow us to tell effective stories. And I think that one of the best examples of this is Sigmund Freud. Like his stuff does not hold up to it doesn't at all to psychological scrutiny. It doesn't. It just doesn't. But the Oedipus complex, like the story of Oedipus does tell us something that does feel True. Or or even and, and maybe and I don't know if the chicken chicken or egg, but it doesn't matter at this point because now if you if you like if you see a cigar on film, you know that's a dick. <laughs> like yep. you know? Yep. So I do think that there is sort of a thing where you get this sort of coded cultural language um that tickle your tickles your brain and allows you to make connections and uh about things that um allow you to tell a story in effective and creative ways. And I, I, so I don't mind. I don't mind them using this hypothesis as, as as fact because what they do with it in their story makes sense and I think broadens our perspective of what of a narrative can be. So yeah. it's solid. And that's that's ultimately what it is. It changes how I think about storytelling, which it's taught me a new language. It has changed my 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 understanding of something. So it works. Totally. Yeah. Um, Agreed. And I think ultimately, like, just kind of if you boil it down to, like, the most simplified terms, this movie is about communication and wanting to speak and understand each other and showing... And the need to, the, like, imperative for survival to be able to communicate and understand each other. And so for that, like, the, the hypothesis is the most exaggerated version of this theme. So I need to communicate with you. And ultimately, that means I need to know how you think. So 
I, I'm going to learn your language and that's going to allow me to see the world through your eyes. So I, I think that that works. That makes yep. sense. Yep. I would agree. Ah, <sighs> lovely. Um, shall we talk about politics, fear, and communication? Yeah, let's do it. Dive right in. Dive right in. So at the top of the show, you were talking about how um, you started to really dig Louise when you saw her complete willingness to um, disrupt the world of the men around her. Yep. Yep. And to stand firm by uh, what she's capable of. Um, so we... Uh, yeah, you... you in, in this lovely outline you made... Uh, you talked about, yeah, how Louise's approach is disruptive to both uh, military and political men around her, but that it's ultimately uh, life-saving. And I think that part of that is that she um, she asks questions and tries to understand context in a way that the military doesn't encourage asking questions and seeking further understanding. You're trained to follow orders. Um, and I think that... Well, it's kind of like being a designer. Uh, I was when, my first year of design school. I was talking to someone who was just graduating, and he was like, "I can tell you, in like one scenario, what makes a designer a designer." I was like, "Okay." He's like, "This wine bottle right here. How would you break it?" And I thought I was being funny, uh, and I was thinking of that uh, song, like, um, "I don't fight." I don't argue. I just hit that bitch with a bottle. So I, uh, <laughs> Jesus. I said, I said I would shatter that bottle uh, right there. Um, and he, uh, there was another guy there who was also about to graduate. And he turned to Chris and he was like, Chris, how would you break this bottle? And he was like, well, why am I breaking it? Like, what is the purpose? What are we trying to do? Um, and, and I think that they're right. Like, uh, trying to understand the context instead of just giving... You don't say, yeah, I'll give you a chair. It's like, well, what do you need a chair for in order to, like, you know, truly design what you need to design in order to give people what they really need to have? And Louise is disruptive because she doesn't just take for granted that, like, it's as simple as um, what is your purpose here just being something she can ask. It is there's a process and there has to be a further understanding. And that is disruptive to a military uh, mentality. Um she ends up being the uh the what is it called the 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 stick in the wheel i don't know what's up i don't know what that phrase is oh um yeah i know what you're talking about no yeah. i i think she's not afraid she's not afraid to stand strong in her convictions and she doesn't accept when people tell her they need something from their perspective that that needs to be her perspective, which is sort of an interesting counterpoint to the idea of communication where she's yep. like, I'm going to communicate with you in that I understand exactly what you're asking me to do. But because I have comprehended it, I can disagree with you. <laughs> like, yeah, as opposed to people who just I think and on oftentimes, right, like I probably a million times a day, people tell me something and it's not worth my time to really understand what they're asking me and actually like dig into whether or not I disagree. I'm just like, sure, those are the requirements. Fine. Like, right. All right, I'll, I'll, right. I'll live in your world in this moment right. because it's because it's not worth my time to argue. But in this case, it is worth her time to argue. So she does take the time and therefore is a much better communicator than the average bear. Yeah. Um, 
Although I can kind of see why. So, right. So she comes up against the military and she comes up against politicians and she's sort of like this, this like little redheaded dot of femininity in this like very masculine, very like power driven world. Like, yeah, I don't think there's another female um, not, that we see. Not really. Really. Like, there are some like background characters, but like I, this movie does not pass the Bechtel test because she doesn't. Oh, hell no. She doesn't talk to other women. In well, it. she talks to Hannah. And not just about her dad, but I don't know if that... Yeah, I I mean... Very loosely. Very, very Very loosely. loosely. I mean, I think the Bechtel test is like a good test, but it it, it itself has limitations. Right. The bottom line is there there should be more named female characters in this film. Period. Um, Unless it is a point of the movie yeah, to... Yeah, or, or, I mean, it doesn't have to be, because I think what it's trading on is it's saying that Louise has traditionally... I think it trades on traditional gender roles, and having yep. women in this movie would require them to take on traditional masculine roles if they were in the military or political. And yeah. I don't think that they want to muddy the water. I think they want something very clean and, like, concise. And I can see why that would, like, upset some feminists. It doesn't personally upset me. Sure. As a person who oftentimes is the only woman in a, in a room. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I find that actually kind of relatable <laughs> and like understand it. No, me it. too. So yeah. it doesn't bother me, but I, I know that it's received some flack on this because you have you have like the, the military and the politicians are like, violence, violence is the answer. If we don't understand it, just blow it up. Just blow it up to be sure. And Louise right. is more like, but like, what do they feel? What do they yeah. think? Shouldn't we try yeah. to talk to them? And that's like very like like little boys just want to destroy and little girls just want to create. Like you have that weird that sort of weird dichotomy. But I would argue that in a patriarchal society in general, we do like hit the destruct button very fast. <laughs> like that's like something we do, and it's yep. out of fear. And you know maybe that's just something that um, people who do put a lot of um, a lot of uh, like buy-in towards traditional gender roles should ask why that's a traditionally male trait and then further ask why are all those people in power? I think that that's an excellent question. I don't really um, think that that's my job to answer because <laughs> I'm no. completely happy being in the camp of maybe we should ask people what they think first. <laughs> I don't know. Totes. I'm about that. I'm Yeah, that's the thing. It's very easy to be like, yeah, I guess this is scary, and we're dealing with aliens, and um, the word weapon has come up, uh, and that is for just because we didn't cover it in the—I didn't cover it in our plot synopsis. The inciting incident that starts to, like, spook everyone um, is when they finally get to the point of, like, asking, you know, like, what is your purpose? And they say, um, depending on the translator, it's, like, offer weapon or give weapon, um, and— we we come to find out that the quote weapon is a tool. It's a gift, and that gift is uh, their language. They're trying to share their language with us. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so it's it's yeah. In the end, it's totally it's totally benign and or 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 even more so helpful. But because we because we have a shaky translation of it, we want to hit the destruct button because nothing bad has ever happened from killing something that we didn't know. Hang them first and try them later. Right. Like yep. nothing bad has ever happened when we do that kind of thing. Of course. Right. Because kill we, them all and let God sort them out. Right. Because we because we determine 
the narrative after that. So of course everything's going to be okay. We can si- we yep. can then change it around. But communication doesn't work like that way. Communication is about actually understanding the facts of the matter or understanding yeah. the facts of the matter from your perspective. And that communication requires, is different from domination. Yeah, and that requires a back and forth and a sharing of ideas. So obviously Louise is against that. Yep. So I'm cool with I think contact definitely plays with this idea, and I think that this one does too, where another reason we sort of buy that Louise wants to talk to the heptopods so badly and like and, and actually understand them is not only the fact that she is a, a prominent linguist and like cares about these sorts of things on a very professional level, it's also that she herself as a woman and an academic is an alien in this world. Like, she is also an other. So as an other, she wants to reach out. As the otherized, she wants to reach out to the most otherized and be like, maybe you and I are more similar than all these other things that look exactly like me from your perspective. Right? Right. And I think that contact kind of plays with this theme. and And I like that. I think that's a really interesting idea. And there's quite a bit written about... Um. Uh, feminist linguists talking about how English itself is is uh, alienating to women and is is like an, an incredibly oppressive force uh, yeah. for women. So I kind of think it's also something that she would understand sort of potentially even innately because of her job. Yeah. No, just a thought. Just a thought no, I, out there. I'm into that. I like that read. So I think that this movie also deals with uh, the way that communication and and storytelling is used as in politics as a tool or potentially a weapon. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I think it, it's it offers some it offers sort of a cautionary tale or at least at least something to to help you uh, to help the viewer later question what they're hearing when they're getting whipped up by by a politi- particular political force. Um, so, you know, communication and information is powerful. Um, and uh, blah, blah. communication and information is powerful and it can e- and it's like it can be either twisted towards we're going to limit it so that when I, the person of power above you, like your political leader, can right. will tell you something is true, if you can't communicate back to me and you don't have access to the information to prove me wrong, I always get to be right. I get to write right. history, basically. Um, and I think that this movie suggests that that is not a good way to live your life and that um, you need to choose to value information um, because it forces you to empathize with others that you might not je- like just kind of innately do so and uh, not lash out blindly at stuff you don't understand, um, which when this movie came out, was definitely a cool idea, but I think now is even more important of a theme when we're kind of seeing this concept of like all news is fake news. Nothing is real information. We, we, we can see, we can see that there is information that is just very obvious to lots of people that is completely untrue to the entire, like to another total subsection of humanity. Um, 
And that's worrying, you know? Yeah, that's 100%. A, that's a very worrying idea. If information, if we, basically, we, we will pave our way to oppression and authoritarianism by deciding that information doesn't actually matter. Absolutely. Um, and you're right. It is the uh, it is a, a timely tale in that way. Um, in a post-truth era where post-truth. we're told, I hate that shit. But Ugh. that is literally what, uh, ugh, ugh. but, um, you know, democracy dies in the darkness and everything like that. Uh, well, and we and we also know this because we know that who controls the narrative who tells the the story like um history favors the storyteller you know the person who's in power and i feel like that is like going beyond the immediate uh political tool and weaponry um you end up it can be propaganda for the person in power it always is i mean we we understand as 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 much as we also understand that like a cigar is a penis, we also understand that victors write history. So yep. we understand that like when you look back and you're like, well, why aren't there more black queer female uh, great painters? You're like, no, they were there. We just didn't value it, so we burned their paintings. Like, right? Like we did not like record we didn't, it. We didn't save it. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> like there there yeah. were tons of people like that. We just didn't care because all of the white dudes were in control of everything and they didn't yep. want to give those people any space to show their stuff. So uh-huh. there you go. There oh, you go. So fun. So, so great. So wonderful. Um, did you. Uh, so so the whole. Um, Louise is able to avert war by calling General Shang on his private number and repeating to him the words that uh, his wife said to him on her deathbed Mm -hmm. um i don't know if you did any reading on this but uh because they don't translate it for you in the movie right they don't no there are no subtitles apparently uh the screenwriter was not totally pleased because he was told by uh the director that the line that he needed to come up with in Mandarin needed to scratch the earth, you know, whatever that means. And so he apparently went through a lot of different iterations in Mandarin. So whoever wrote the screenplay has to be a linguist um, and a little and, and fairly intelligent. Uh, and And then finally came up with this line and then there weren't subtitles for it. And he was like... He was like, are you kidding me? Pretty much. Pretty much exactly. But don't you think it also challenges you to be a Louise and, like, have curiosity and look up what she said? Oh, totally. 100%. I mean, we live in an era of the internet. Like, I would understand entirely if we were, like, if this was, like, the golden age of movies. But, like, but it's not. Like, I don't have to go to a library to figure out what she said. Sure. Trust your audience and that your audience will also do the work. Yeah, um, I actually think that's kind of cool. I understand why the screenwriter is like, God damn it. But still. Right. He was good natured about it. It was just like he was like, oh, I don't mind telling you all what the line is. Um, and it is that um, in war, there are no winners, only widows. Um, and I I I wonder what it is literally in Mandarin, you know, like what the uh, each word actually breaks down to. But I think it's. I think it's a cool concept. Um, it's interesting that 
it was enough for his wife to say that on her deathbed to uh, a war happy general. Um, <laughs> it had to be repeated to him by uh, by a strange white woman. But whatever. Case time is we're unmoored from time, so maybe she hasn't even said it yet. No, that's 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 true. Forward that is, and coming, so who knows? I mean, oh well, so I oh God, that that is something I wanted to touch on, and this is what I mean by Billy Pilgrim from Stuck in Time. What's really fun about when she starts to have these flashes is the way that they are interacting with the two timelines. Like when her daughter is asking her basically to come up with the name uh, a non-zero sum game, and so her daughter's asking her like, you know, what's the term for like when two people are like in a competition. But they both get something out of it. And she was like, a win-win. She's like, no, more than that. And then um, and then Louise is back in like the present. And she uh, hears Ian use that phrase. And then she goes back to the future and is able to say it to her daughter. And it's this uh it's interesting because like it seems like when she flashes forward, she's a little bit disoriented at first. Like, she doesn't have all of her memories at first. She then has them. Like, when she's explained to her daughter why um, her husband left, she is then remembering why her husband left and is able to answer those questions, you know? Um, but it's interesting that, like, it starts with this moment of, of I'm not really sure. Like, it yeah. is disorienting for her. It's not, I am not omniscient. I have to travel through time in order to remember these things, you know? Yeah. I like cool. I liked that too. I mean, it, I think it it not only is like excellent at disorienting the viewer so that we we have to work harder to understand what's happening and totally. and makes the payoff of the movie that much more satisfying. I also totally. think it kind of works in terms of how people are. Like yeah. We have we have like at least a very colloquial colloquial idea that like people repeat their mistakes again and again and again and again. Like if you if you are yeah. dating someone who's toxic and you break up with them, you might end up in the same relationship again and again and again until like eventually you break your cycle, right? So yeah. I feel like to some degree it it operates on a similar thing where she's like where someone asks her something that she does know, but she has to like retrace the steps and be like, yeah, this is the moment in time where I knew where I became aware that this is this is the answer. So now I can go back to the present and be like, here you go. So, yeah, right. Like it, it kind of describes how we as people use our past experiences if we if we're working at it to 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 move our own story forward as opposed to repeating cycles and just kind of moving in loops. How do we Absolutely. make how do we make jumps? How do we take how do we take big steps forward out of out of our little routines? Well, in so. building on that, there's this interesting moment right when she's getting uh off the off the ship when she's gone on her own to go talk to Costello. Um and she flashes forward, but the moment that she flashes forward to is just her standing in a room thinking. And it felt like this moment where it was like sometimes solving problems, you know, we all talk about taking a step back and thinking with a different mindset. But it was almost like taking a step back and thinking was also like that's us traveling through time. You know, mm. it was very it was very interesting moment. I liked it. I like that read on that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so do you think that do you think that that final phrase does scratch the earth? 
I think that that is a hard bar to set. Yeah. I I think it's one of those things, especially just one sentence, one phrase. I don't know if any sentence out of context of great speech, a great work of literature, um, to be or not to be. You know, I mean, like it, like like there's profundity, but like I think that that's a hard bar. But I I do think it's 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 a it's a good idea. You know, what are what are you what do you think, Mary? I do think it does. I think it does because it's what it forces one to do is to think very in a very, very narrow and very, very small and very, very sad aspect of grand motion. A war is a big thing. And we think about people who win the war and we think about people who lose the war. And it's sort of like countries win. America won. Germany lost. Yeah. And like those kind of things. And like we we even have like huge complexes around wars that like it's not really clear who won. Like Vietnam, like like shattered our sense of like war and what war means and war can do for a lot of reasons. But I think that part of it is that like the winners and the losers of it were kind of mushy. Like we didn't really know. And it's hard. So yeah, it's, it's it's exactly like our ongoing war in Iraq is. Um, yeah. Who's going to win that sucker? Nobody. Yeah. There's not there's not really a winner. There's not a possibility for there to really be a winner. No. Totally. And it seems like we might keep fighting it indefinitely because of that. Like because uh-huh. we can't win the war, we might stay over there forever, um, which, which is a horrifying thought. It but, is. It's a horrifying thought. But I think that by forcing people, but by telling a simple and clear truth that forces you to extract yourself from like the winners and the losers and realize that everybody, no matter what on either side, if you are, if you are from the victorious country or the losing country, people will die and people will have loss and people will not only die, but they will leave behind others that will miss them horribly. (laughs) Yeah. That, that is, that no, forces right. you to empathize. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what that means. Nobody wants to make somebody a widow. <laughs> you know, right? That's a horrible thing. So I do think it scratches the earth because it's like, look, these heptopods, as far as we know, have somebody who cares about them. And if you kill them, if you just blow them all up, you're making them a widow, and you're going to make some of us widows too, probably in that case, in that in that scenario as well. So like, don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> just well, don't do that. It's interesting how um, heartbreaking it is when Abbott dies. Yeah. Um, so uh, some some of the soldiers have been uh, watching too much knock off Rush Limbaugh, and it liter- it has it is definitely supposed to be Rush Limbaugh because it's a it's a white guy, paunchy, talking into a mic like with his headphones on, but also camera there that he's talking to, and that's exactly that's exactly how Rush what Limbaugh Rush, used to Rush yeah, does. Uh-huh. Also, and- also earlier on in the film, Louise definitely tells her mom not to watch Fox News because they're fear-mongering dickholes. Right. So- she doesn't she doesn't say Fox News when she's like, don't watch that channel. Yeah. Well, do you I know- do I see yeah, you know, you know what it's supposed There's to be. There's only one channel it could possibly be because yeah. that is the state. Anyway, whatever. Yep. Funny. Um so, like, so they've been watching too much news. Uh they're also talking to their wives on the phone who are saying things like your kid wants to know if you're going to be killed by the alien. And, you know, they hear the word weapon 
And they decide that, like, you know, it's time to end this. So they put a bomb up there where the aliens are because they left in the middle of a session. So they're still there waiting because they, they're there for a certain time period, you know? Right. And <laughs> Because these so aliens Louise... are nice enough to have also built into their ship a viewing platform for human yeah. beings. To change, like, they've changed the atmosphere. They've made it, um, they've added the right amount of oxygen. Like, they're, you know, they're being pretty, pretty respectful guests. Um, they've actually kind of set up a situation where it looks like they are zoo animals, which is the only <laughs> part of the hilarious. film that I don't believe. I'm like, like at least I think it would have been nice if we had a view of the people that was similar to how we view the heptapods. So we could be like, oh, yeah, no. Yeah. I, mean, I think like, I think. I think we're supposed to be, like, separated from them in order to keep them more alien, but, like, totally, totally Yeah, we should have had a moment where, like, you see from the alien's perspective and you see that, like, the people are also, like, in a zoo exhibit. I don't know. Right. Like, we needed a a who's really in the cage kind of moment, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, so Louise and Ian are going... um, Rogue is the wrong term because it seems like the military is actually okay with it, but they're like, you know, we need to get back in there. We need to, like restart the session we need to like ask them what they meant by weapon and so they go back and the main military guy has been kind of a, a dickhole tries to stop them and one of his compatriots like just let him go which is essentially being just let them die yeah, which just, is let them get, just let them get exploded it's fine bananas shit yeah so they're up there and they're trying to talk to them and this allows the heptapods to like finish like their transmission and give them the entire like the entire 12th of the language that they are sharing because they're giving a 12th to each of the 12 sites and that way they all have to work together in order to fully understand the language so they have to share. Um, but one, like Abbott stays close enough to uh, to the wall to toss them backwards and save them and is therefore blown up and dies. Mm. And it is heartbreaking even though you don't, like they don't look humanoid or anything like yeah, they don't you have, have no... perceivable eyes and mouths they literally yeah. look like you know your hand like they're you you're staring at what looks like knuckles for like a lot this, of the movie this movie this movie of course this movie does not care if you think that amy adams is likable because they're also they're also rolling the dice that you're going to be sad when something that looks like a giant rubber glove gets killed like yeah which and you, i was and i was it does work yeah. it's great it, yeah yeah, no, totally. totally. It, it's a movie that challenges you to be a better a better viewer, which I, I like. I appreciate. I feel like a lot of films um, can't take that gamble, I'm going to say. Totally. No, well, yeah. I mean, this movie clearly had enough people behind it that believed in it. Yeah. Because it is a risky, it's a risky movie in yeah. the way that... Um, in the way that tells its story and the nonlinear storytelling and the way that they don't, like, overly explain things. There's not overly too much exposition in fact and that's something i was like there's really only um one part that feels like exposition and it's meant to be it is like during the montage of the making progress when ian is talking like over over the screen it's like what he's writing in his journal about the progress they're making and so like that even felt fine it's a good movie guys that's Mm -hmm. what i'm saying it's Mm -hmm. a it's a mega good movie no i agree I and agree. I think you're right about about the phrase. Um, and because it, it's the what I was concerned with was the wording of it. I'm like, I mean, yeah, that's fine. But you're right. The idea 
is very foundational and very fundamental. Um, yeah. And it would cause someone to to stop and think twice. So I think so. I think so. Also, yeah, like, I really like General Shang. When we meet him, like in a flash forward, right before she gets on the phone with him, he's a real sweetheart. He seems charming. <laughs> he's like, super charming. He's like, actually, I only came here to meet you. It was really surprising when he called me on a private private line. She's like, I did. He's like, I don't, I don't claim to know how your mind works, but I thought it was very important that you see the number to my private line. I'm like. <laughs> man way to go yeah way no to, way to just trust so great so great i also feel like um oh man i totally lost it what was it oh also that's also kind of an interesting moment because when you do meet him you like him a lot and the entire time yeah. the entire movie before that every it's, time he's been built up as like the scary force yeah as like a warmonger and he just mm-hmm. wants to ex- like blow stuff up and he hates everybody and blah 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 blah. and when you meet him you're like oh this is someone who would care about widows <laughs> like oh yeah, yeah. totally so, he's a guy I, you, to, to borrow the phrase about al gore he's someone i'd like to have a drink with you know <laughs> oh god <laughs> Poor Al Gore. Uh, that's exactly what my next words are going to be. Poor Al Gore. Oh, poor Al Gore. Oh, he and Mitt Romney should just go farm <laughs> a robot colony. <laughs> yes. They are um, cut from the same cloth. I know that they probably would both hate that comparison, but they are. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm sure that they would really dislike each other. Um, well, like, pol- they would probably politely. They'd politely. Oh, it'd be so polite. It would be like the, the most s- polite. It'd be like the <laughs> sweetest, most professional. Like, I disagree with you fundamentally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually think that your ideas are the epitome of nonsensical and damaging. But it was very pleasant to meet you. And, but I appreciate uh, your completely logical cold mind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So shall we dive into love and motherhood? Yes, let's do, do it. Do, 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 do. Let's I don't know why it. I did Twilight Zone <laughs> theme for love and motherhood. <laughs> it should have been like, da, da, da. anyway, whatever. I'm just, <laughs> so as we've discussed, um, <laughs> so we discussed the, you know, Louise, when we mostly deal with her in this film, she's either in a completely professional context where she's trying to communicate with these heptapods or she is a mother. And we yep. never really see... We, we don't see her uh, her partner, her husband, because that's Ian. So yeah. we we get these little hints at her at her life as a mother and a wife late, like throughout the film. But it's never it's never like the main banana, I would say. It's a second. It's, a, sure. it's a second plot line. Yeah, sort of. Um, and what I thought was really cool is that. Generally, when you have a story, especially a story about a woman, love, marriage and motherhood are like the like the big three end goals. Like, yeah, I you know, this is completely shooting from it. But like going from like classical Shakespeare thing, you know, it's a comedy if it ends in a marriage and you know, it's a tragedy if it ends in a funeral. Right. Like, yeah, like those are the things. And those are very traditional ways of telling stories about women. Like the yeah. the men get stories where they become adventurers and they come home and then they get and then usually they get married, too. But if you yeah. hear it from a woman's perspective, the marriage is the end goal because she's waiting at home for the adventurer to come back to marry her. So I, I once I once read the most troubling academic article about <laughs> Jane Austen and about how that used the phrase 
money shot referring to a wedding scene and how Jane Austen never included it in her books. Anyway, continue. Sorry. (laughs) Just had to bring that in and have everyone else be troubled by the fact that some academic thought that that was an okay thing to say. And I was like, no, (laughs) no. No. Anyway, sorry. And you know when they wrote it, they felt like a total badass. They were like, oh, this is yeah, going to be I don't like writing salacious academic uh, works, but hell no do I ever want to. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. Now everyone has to experience that with me. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know what? I am a Scorpio and I love staring into the void. I know I'm afraid <laughs> of the void, but I want to peer into it. Um <laughs> I want to know. But I think it's really cool to have like these traditional end goals for a woman in a film. First of all, it inverts your expectation because you think that these are things that have already happened to Louise. So you Absolutely. think you think her story begins where most women's stories end. And that yeah. is really cool. And then further, further uh, you have it further inverts that trajectory because you have you find out that these things are going to happen and then they're going to end. She's going to lose all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And Louise knows that through the entire, like through her entire, uh, through this entire cycle of her life. And we, we, we see that she still chooses the storyline for herself. She could have not, right? She could have not, she could have not gotten coffee with Ian later. Like she could have chosen Well, I mean, I guess that that's, that's kind of the question. Um, because she does, she pauses it, she posits it like she says to him at the end, if you knew exactly what's going to happen in your life, you know, everything that was going to happen, would you do it differently? And he said, and I feel like that's almost her like asking his permission yeah. to let this be their life. And he says, I think I would just say what I thought more and then uses that as an opportunity to tell her how taken he is with her um, and how special she is. And that's it's a lovely moment. And then we and that is the only part of the film where we start to see, like, the parts of their relationship that were loving and good, you know, before he leaves her. I do think it's a little bit of a, a dick move that she doesn't tell him that she knows that their daughter's going to die. I yeah, and not until her daughter's like a, a like a kid. And I, I, agree, I agree. But part of me is also like, dude, why didn't you just learn this fucking language? So you could have figured it out, too. <laughs> There's also that also... Every person, every parent knows that one day their child will die. Right. Like everybody is mortal. So I do kind of feel like a little bit like, I mean, yeah, this can happen. It's like, you know, it's not just because I think part that also goes along beautifully with this whole kind of cyclical life is not life does not have like kind of a beginning and an end language doesn't have a beginning at time doesn't have a beginning and end. So it goes. You get so it goes. You get these cycles these human experiences that kind of loop around and we are built on these seminal moments that we can like kind of drop into our life at any point and they frame our lives and they make it enriched. And therefore, potentially, someone who dies when they're a teenager isn't isn't that much of a tragedy because they still have all of those they moments. They still lived a life. They still yeah. had a life. And, and if time is not linear, then... You know, they've lived that life. They can live that life again and again in the other people who are left behind. So I don't know. I don't know. Absolutely. Well, and so and so I, I wonder, like, you know, she, she asks if you would change it. But, like, you know, and she chooses not to. And I, you know, it just, it made me, made me consider ideas of, like, free will. Like, if you can see the world. Well, or free will is not the right question. Like, 
You're the saying, bottom line you're is saying, you would do what you're going to do in a situation. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so, so could she really change it? Does that make sense? It does make sense. I, I've also, I'm also kind of troubled by it. I feel like if she is going to be the hero we believe her to be, she, everything else about her is very much, she choo- she chooses things and she sticks to her guns and she manifests the stuff she needs to, right? Like, yeah. like when she knows what's happening, she manifests that towards saving the world. Right. Like she yeah. doesn't it's not she doesn't sit on her hands. She doesn't have moments of indecision. She makes a choice and she moves forward with it. So I feel like which is kind of cool because she has all this kind of like background information. I think we have to believe for the story to work really well that she could she could choose to do nothing. Right. She can right. she can bend time and like and like go back and decide that she's not going to have a child or yeah. go back and decide she's not going to um, begin a relationship with Ian. But she she chooses those things and then she moves forward, even though she knows the consequences, which I kind of yeah. feel like I kind of feel like everybody, everybody is doing that all the time. This is like exactly. trippy thoughts. No. Everyone's doing that all the time. Like, you know, like. Like you're making the choices you're going to make. Yeah, you could, you could choose to do things differently, but you're choosing to do what you think is right, and you know that it's risky. Like yeah. you know, you know that no matter what you choose, could have terrible ramifications. Or like, um, there's going to be a time. There's going to be a time where you and I have a last conversation, right? And hopefully, don't even say that. I know. Don't but, even say. That. I know, but like. Hopefully it's when we're like really, really old and and one of us passes On our deathbed side by yeah, side with our, die, with our dachshund surrounding we, us. We die instantly at the same time holding hands together. <laughs> yeah, I hope perfect. that's true. But like, sure. but like every human relationship, everything that you do, there's going to be a last day that you go to work. There's going to be a last time you pick up a baby. Like there's like always yeah. that, that that is like something. And, and I think we try to kind of hide from it because it's it's a source. of It's exos- scary. It's scary. Once. But like, yeah. but like, if we stare into that void and we accept that those things might not happen on the timeline that we want them to happen on, that that is like that, like every relationship we have will eventually end. That yeah, that it becomes a lot less scary to to enter into relationships, and you just accept that it's it's not entirely up to you, you know, like yeah, or or you work very hard to make sure that those relationships, while you have them, are very good. You know? Yeah, and that there's no, power and, in that. I do too, and and it made me think of Dan Savage, who Dan Savage is not a perfect man, but I I do enjoy Dan Savage, and I and I think sure. he does a, a valuable service. Um, but he he talks all the time about this idea that like ever it's silly that we consider relationships that end to be failures because then every relationship except for your last one is a failure, and that's and that's silly. And I think that. I think that Louise would agree. I think that, you yeah. know, there are times where she's very happy with Ian. And that, oh, that, like, that that heart-clenching moment, the first time he, like, holds her um, as the sun is setting, like, right as this war has just, like, been averted. And she says, I forgot how nice it was for you to hold me. And, and he's like, wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, he doesn't, I don't, it's almost like he doesn't notice, but it's just like, as as an audience member, like it's just, it's it's a fucking beautiful movie. Yeah, as all I gotta say about that because, mm-hmm. I do I I it's inter and I I like what you said about how it subverts expectations. It has these things 
end for her. Um, and I and the only way that I forgave the movie is that she's kind of telling the story to her daughter. Um, but I hope she has a good life after those things, like after her daughter passes. I think she will. Yeah. No, like I, I think there's nothing about the movie that suggests she won't. Right, think... and 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 very much because from the start of the movie, she's talking about the period of her life in which Hannah is in her life, and so that is why, like, I think it's fine that like we don't see any flashes of a future past that. Um, I'm sure she does. Yeah, I'm sure. I just. I just wanted I want her to be happy. I think I really I think like Louise. Ha- yeah. I, I think become she, very attached to Louise. She seems, and I want her to live a good life. She seems happier at the end of the movie than she does when she was a teacher at the beginning. Like in our oh, hell yeah. in our limited in our limited human understanding of time, right? Our yeah. English language understanding of time, right? Like I feel like the person telling the story seems much happier than the woman who like was teaching who we meet before yeah. they arrived. Right. I, I would agree 100 percent. And and I and and I love, love, love that she named her daughter um, a palindrome, Hannah. Amazing. So good. It did make me think of the time, though, that um, I was selling tacos on the road. And listen, guys, I was working at music festival, so maybe we were high. And I was with my friend and she was just like, did you know that Taco Cat is Taco Cat backwards? And it was just this- <laughs> <laughs> Amazing moment. So, guys, Taco. Taco Cat is Taco Cat backwards. Anyway, is that why you're going to name if you ever have a daughter Taco Cat? <laughs> <Yes>! <laughs> Your name is Palindrome. It's special Taco Cats. T- First name Taco, A-C. middle name Cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. T A C. Anyway, yeah. That's amazing. So. Yeah, one of the also the reasons that I think that you have to have um Louise having some control and some self self-determination in this yep. story is I think that this this story completely subverts one of my least favorite tropes and a trope that I think is so inherently misogynistic which is the trope of the man with nothing left to lose. I hate those characters. Oh there my are god, movies, me there too. Are movies and like books and things about those characters that I do truly enjoy, but like sure. as a concept, like the concept of like fridging where you like have a man Ugh. lose his wife and child so that he may become the person that he needs to be. I'm like that's not a thing. And I yeah, feel the like the ultimate motivator. Yeah, and I feel like at the beginning of the movie you you kind of think of Louise as a character who has nothing left to lose and then you realize, "Oh no, like she doesn't even have the stuff that she's going to lose yet, but she knows she's going to lose them. And yet still she d- makes still her choices she's not are a the same. human. Yeah, yeah. Her choices are the same. The fact that like loss in this story is not a determining factor for how you live your life. And I think yeah. that that's really, really cool. <laughs> like, I love that as a concept, like that people are more fundamental than their traumas and that yeah. people don't need to be completely motivated by trauma. They they move through their life like we are beyond our situations. We are beyond our emotions. We are beyond our connections. We're some combination of all those things plus something inherent to our being. And that's a really beautiful idea. I like it. It is. It is. It's a beautiful movie. So um, kind of playing off that, that whole... Uh, a, a, char- a main character protagonist with nothing left to lose. Um, I like that 
and and what you were saying also about how you hope that she's happy. I think that it's yeah. also really cool that we get her story after her happily ever after has kind of fallen apart, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and that that is like a false idea. And potentially that's a lazy way to tell a story. Like, ending the story with a wedding or ending the story with a birth is is lazy and we we get the sense we're like oh that these characters are fine now but their characters like if they were real people their life would continue after that it's not yeah no absolutely by by ending on this note of like love and connection between ian and louise it it salvages the any laziness by but we already know that their life will be complicated that there will be heartbreak that there will be loss that like they won't they they unlike us will not die at the exact same time at uh, age one hundred and five side by side holding hands with dachshunds on the bed you know exactly. like whatever exactly and I think it also it goes it it pairs perfectly with the theme of communication and conversation which is that like they don't they don't really ever end right like you can continue to carry on and continue to change your ideas and the only thing that you really need to have that is authentic connection over emotional safety right like if you want to have a good conversation with someone you can't you can't pry is your your like you're being on guard more than your desire to be curious and know about them you know yeah like you have to you have to risk something usually it's a pretty little risk usually it's like do you like dogs (laughs) like it's a small risk but you have to you have to at least be curious enough to let down your emotional safety net to allow someone else to talk to you. So I think that um, I think that that like goes nicely with this where where Louise definitely is very brave and has chosen to live her life to be as a as a moment of authentic connection with others versus playing it emotionally safe. And that and because she does that, that is her happy ending. Like everything that happens in her life she is achieving her ultimate goal. I think it's nice. Yeah. It's Absolutely. An, and it's a forward moving goal. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's it's fun that you get to see these flashes of genuine joy and happiness that, that she experiences and that are worth, you know, the pain. It's nice. Yeah. So final thoughts. Mary, do you think that this movie is important? Is it feminist or interesting from a feminist perspective? Yes, I do. I like that. Um, I think the character of Louise is really important. I think that uh, Amy Adams's portrayal of her is very important. Oh my god! Yeah, and I think it Amy can... Adams is a national treasure. Amy Adams really should win an Oscar. I know she doesn't need to be validated by winning an Oscar, but like, come on! Like, I mean, like she should. I, I haven't seen a performance she's done where I'm like, meh. And I think that it's really important to. Um, show that feminine ideals in high stakes situations um are are good and important um i think that there yeah. are a lot of movies like the the movies i can think of that are about the end of the world right now are always about superheroes mm-hmm. and in general in general like if there is like a sensitive value that is on display in a superhero movie it's friendship which I love friendship. Friendship. I is love very, friendship. Friendship is very important. This is a friendship space, safe space. But... Yeah. No, we're fr- we're pro friendship. 
But mm-hmm. <laughs> it does show that that being like the emotional depth, that being like the bottom where you like you're like, oh, this is the most this is the most beautiful and seminal part of this film. Being friendship is like very safe versus yeah. oh versus God. like emotional vulnerability and communication yeah. and like those kind of things which are actually scary. Whereas like and, most yeah, risky communication. Right. Most people have a buddy. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's it just shows how yeah. lame how lame and safe we are with like our high stakes movies yeah in, in a way that I'm like yeah we need to get some more like traditionally feminine ideals in these situations and then maybe they will actually um move people that's why black panther moved so many people because like yeah it tapped into something that like people desperately wanted to see and was different it wasn't just yep. about friendship and the villain of it was really systemic oppression yeah, exactly. Not really and so, Killmonger. And, like, so those sorts of things are, like, very important. They should do more things like that. Um, I also think it's really great to have a movie that doesn't end with a woman. Uh, the happy ending offered is not because a woman is going to get married and have a baby, and then that's the end of her story. Yep. I agreed. I think they use the time, the time traveling aspect of this or the time the time twist aspect of this to like a very a very fem to a very feminist end which i think is really cool and not expected of them like in any way what about you what do you think well i hated the movie so um (laughs) (laughs) obviously obviously no i i think Listen, I think you you've you pretty much summed it all up. You but, simply um, owe it to yourself to see this movie. Yeah, you really yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, watch it. It's a great movie, and it's also one of those movies that like I was able to sit down and like watch with my parents, and they really enjoyed, and we're glad we watched. So it's like it's a perfect it's kind of holiday can, film. That's why we're doing it, it right now. Like when you're hanging out with your family and you haven't taken off your PJs for three days, watch this movie. Everyone it's, will it's, like. Everyone will like it. Everyone will like it, and they'll be so charmed by you for uh, putting it on. And then after that, you know, maybe watch Separate Wives, uh, and then maybe just get your family to listen to our podcast. You know, life, whatever. We someone's family should listen to it. Yeah, no, definitely. And and as a as like the world's biggest fan of middle aged ladies, I'm like more middle aged ladies listening to my podcast, please, always and forever. Yeah, for yes. sure. Please, yes, please, and thank you. So, as always, thank you for listening to Space Bras. Head over to Apple Podcasts or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Be sure to visit OutrageousMechanisms.com slash space dash bras to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. And we've got some hot new content coming out on the social medias uh, this month. So check out uh, us on Instagram and Twitter at space underscore bras. And now... Join us as we raise our glasses and give the official toast of Space Bras. In these troubled times, we must remember that even though everyone might suck, we are awesome and the galaxy is ours. Cheers! Mechanisms Production.